Hello, and welcome to IBM Developer. I'm your host, Luke Schantz. In this episode of our Origin Stories interview series, I'm pleased to bring you a conversation with Jaya Ramanathan. She's an experienced security and governance architect and one of the keynote speakers at IBM's upcoming Cloud Native Security Conference. Thanks for taking time to talk with us today, Jaya. Hi, Luke. Thank you for the opportunity for this interview. I'm really excited to be here. So just to tell a little bit about myself, I recently moved to Red Hat and became a Red Hatter beginning of March this year. And my role currently is I'm the Chief Security and Governance Architect for the Red Hat Advanced Cluster Management for Kubernetes uh, offering. And prior to that, I was actually with IBM for almost 28 years. And I worked on various aspects of security within IBM both in the IBM Security Business Unit, as well as uh, in IBM Cloud and Hybrid Cloud organizations. So I am really excited right now. My passion is about uh, governance, which is what my topic is also going to be about, the one I'm going to talk about. And um, so happy to be here. Well, I think that's a great place to start the conversation. For folks who don't know what governance is, maybe even there, right? Like, what, what does that mean? What's governance? Yeah. So governance is uh, obviously a broad term, but in the context of what I'm talking about, I refer to governance in the context of security and compliance. So if you think about uh, many of our enterprise customers who are doing the transformation from their traditional IT infrastructure to cloud, uh, many of them are in highly regulated industries like finance, banking, um, healthcare, federal government, etc. And for those customers, meeting the security and compliance requirements is extremely important. And that is one of the things they always worry about, you know, when they think about moving to cloud. And one of the things, uh, based on my experience, since, you know, I was in IBM Cloud for four years working as the security architect there, and then I also worked in hybrid cloud where I was delivering private cloud solutions. My experience in offering managed cloud offerings where we had to take care of security and compliance aspects led me to realize that putting proper procedures, processes, and automation in place is the right approach to ensuring that uh, something is configured properly, right? And so governance is essentially that. It is essentially letting you define a set of policies to conform to best practices on how the various controls within your environment are configured. And these controls could pertain to security. They could also pertain to software engineering, resiliency, and other aspects. So typically, if you look at any enterprise client, they're looking at standards that they have to comply to, whether it is external standards like PCI or HIPAA or FISMA, or their own internal enterprise standards, right? And what we really want to do here is to make it easy. And how do you make it easy? Because typically, you know, if you look at a particular security control, there are security SMEs who know exactly how that control works. I'm talking about, you know, things like data and transit encryption, for example, right? So the person who is familiar with the technology will know how to configure it, how it should be set up, what ciphers to use, make sure TLS of 1.3 is used, things like that, right? But if you're thinking about an ops person who is responsible for running this environment, right? They may not necessarily be an SME in every aspect of security, okay? So how do you make this easy? 
the way you make it easy is you add this governance capability into the control itself and you define a set of policies that conform to the best practices and so deploying those policies becomes like a a push button kind of automation right so that's really the whole idea behind this governance that uh, i'm really passionate about because um when i was in ibm cloud i did have my team build a little mini grc dashboard for me and uh, so this whole idea came about through that and then when i came over to hybrid cloud and we released the cloud pack for multi cloud manager offering this grc capability was built into that and then now we have moved that piece into red hat so as part of my move to red hat i came over along with this technology and we are incorporating this technology into red hat right now interesting and i'm imagining you know or let's say the stereotype historical view is like security was always like an afterthought or it's like oh it's just a firewall but now especially with hybrid model i mean there's such a huge surface area that's vulnerable it's like you need to think about it up front it has to be the core of what you're doing or you're you're really vulnerable in this modern architectures yeah absolutely and uh, that is why you know my view is governance has to be applied across the entire stack by that i mean starting from the hardware establishing the root of trust all the way to the operating system to the container platform to the middleware and finally on to the workload that is running on top of it and um, so that you make sure that all layers are set up properly to best practices right so so this is where you know the security controls at the various layers are automated and enabled so that you know where the issues are you have visibility you can trigger remediate remediation through automated actions and um, so i think that's that's extremely important that's the only way to actually manage this otherwise it's not scalable it totally makes sense and i want to come back to to this topic but uh because this origin series is really about you know the paths that developers and technologists take in in their whole career i'd like to you know rewind and ask you what was the impetus what really you know was it that math class or the graphing calculator or the ham radio if we if we rewind it back to your you know your your childhood or your adolescence when 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 did that spark happen that set you on the path you're on today that's a good question i think um, for me you know i was always interested in problem solving and math you know it was always fascinating so i think um, naturally you know when i was progressing through my high school and i had an option of either pursuing the stem um, engineering path or pursuing either commerce or going into medicine the choice for me was very clear <laughs> that uh, that i i am going to get into stem and i'm going to uh, become an engineer so it was uh, very clear and you know of course you know when i was uh, studying engineering uh, computer science was just beginning at that time um, because computers then were still in uh, locked away in uh, uh, rooms where only a few people were <laughs> were you know were able to get to them and uh, you had to wear some slippers to make sure you know the uh, it is dust free and you know things like that right so um but i was introduced to computers uh, during my engineering degree 
uh, because they had a computer uh, mainframe there. And uh, my first programming language, I, if I remember right, was basic. So I remember writing uh, some basic uh, programs at that time. That's where my journey began in computers. Interesting. And so I'm, I'm imagining then, um, you know, starting when computers were very rare and, you know, the developer or the, the programmer is, you know, sort of like you're saying, locked away in the, in the closet. No one knows, knows where they are. They're in the back room. And, and now we have this world where, you know, all the developers are on Twitter um, and have opinions. Um, so from there, what was your... What was your first uh, job? Was it at IBM or was it, did, did you start somewhere else? Uh, no, it was not at IBM. I actually grew up in India. Uh, so I uh, did my bachelor's in India. And then I also did my master's from um, Indian Institute of Technology in Mumbai, India. Um, and in my master's is when I first ventured into computer science. Um, my bachelor's was actually in electronics and communications. Hmm. Uh, so, but then when I went to do my master's initially, you know, I was, um, I got admission to electronics and communications for master's as well, but then, uh, opening opened up for computer science. And so they were asking, you know, is, uh, who is interested, right? So I put my hand up and, um, and I was one of the three people who got transferred into the computer science department. <laughs> so rest is history, I guess. Um, so that's where I started. And um, that, there I kind of learned uh, Pascal. It was the programming language I learned there. And um, I used to do assignments on punched cards. And, you know, it was interesting. <laughs> and uh, so then after that, I worked for a couple of years in India. And I actually worked on uh, automated um, communication box. Uh, it was called Automex. It was actually um, software that was routing messages to among different um, uh, destinations. Um, and so I basically had to write the software and then burn it into a programmable ROM and put it into the device. So that's what I did there. Um, but then um, I was really fascinated by the opportunities uh, that... Uh, United States of America presented, right? Um, so I wrote my GRE and then I applied and then I got admission for PhD in computer science at Michigan State University. So I landed, I landed in Michigan um, in spring, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so I, I had, I had uh, all the different seasons that I enjoyed, you know, spring, summer, fall, and Michigan is beautiful. You have all these different variations of, you know, colors and everything. And so I had a lot of time to adjust before winter hit. Um, and uh, so it was, not, it was fine. Um, so anyway, during, during my PhD is when I had an opportunity to do internship at uh, IBM TJ Watson Research Center mm -hmm. in New York. And uh, I essentially did a project on the Mark microkernel. Um, and uh, Mark was a microkernel that originated at Carnegie Mellon, and IBM was looking at it. And so my internship was on that. And um, that's when I, that was my first intro to IBM, and I really liked the company and the atmosphere and everything. And uh, so when I graduated, I applied to IBM 
the various IBM locations. I got an offer from IBM Austin and uh, I moved to Austin. And I've been in Austin since then, been a while, since 1992. Probably seen a lot of changes in Austin, I'm imagining. It's, uh, it's a boom town now. It's a boom town. Um, it's, a, it's a very vibrant city. Uh, we really like it here. And uh, so I've been in IBM since then. And initially I was working on a project related to my thesis. So it was on distributed systems, clustering, the mock operating system, uh, the kernel, uh, microkernel, etc. And uh, then uh, a few years later is when I got the opportunity to work on uh, security. So since uh, 2000, I've been uh, working in the security area. That's interesting that you were thinking about distributed systems like very very early on, because obviously now that's right. That's the name of the game. We've got all this containerization. We've got edge. Do you have any sort of insights or interesting thing of like, wow, I really watched this blossom or progress? Yeah, it's it's very interesting because um, if I think about it, you know, initially, you know, computers were just locked away, right? Very few people were managing them, et cetera, right? And uh, then the, we, had, we saw the blossom of personal computing where everybody uh, was able to get a lap um, desktop to begin with, right? And then what happened is the, the, it became uh, a little more complicated because even lay people who had the desktop had to deal with how to keep it up to date. How do you, you know, make sure that the antivirus software is running, firewalls are in place, and all those things that they had to deal with, right? So, and then uh, the interesting thing is, then we see the shift with the cloud. We see that um, the devices that uh, uh, most people use are very simple, like the iPhone and the iPad, and you know, and you find that we are back to where we started, which is most of the management is being done in the cloud cloud by a by certain select few right and uh, whereas the mass population is getting the benefits of being able to use it right which is what they should be doing and then you're leaving the um, management to the to the few and i think where i am going with my work my current work is to help those people who are managing the cloud Right, provide them the right tools so that they can manage it from a security and compliance perspective in a easier manner. And so, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with with hybrid cloud, but maybe some aren't. And I think it might be worth spending a few minutes just to to talk about you know what does that mean from a security perspective. Uh, you know, so first, what is hybrid cloud, and then sort of how do you approach hybrid cloud from a security perspective? Yeah. So hybrid cloud is, so when the cloud first began, the focus was more on public cloud, right? Um, which is, uh, think of it as more uh, multi-tenant, which means it caters to multiple customers and each customer gets an account and then they can provision VMs and uh, containers and run their applications, etc. use services on the cloud, etc. right? Um, that was fine for experimentation and you know um, for uh, applications that are not as sensitive, right? But once you start looking at um, more highly regulated industries and you know regulated workloads and so on, um, 
customers wanted more control over how the cloud is managed, right? So that's when private cloud came about, where we said, okay, you, we will give you the same technology, Kubernetes and um, container platforms that uh, has the benefits of elasticity, ease of management, deployability, et cetera. But we will give it to you within your enterprise so you can manage it to whatever standards you need to manage it, right? So we put the power back into the customer um, or the control back into the customer. But, um, but then, you know, that's also another extreme, right? So really what customers are looking for is they have different kinds of workloads for some, you know, they want to keep it within the perimeter of their enterprise. Others, they're willing to run in the public cloud. Plus, they also have data sitting within their enterprise in existing systems that they have to integrate with, right? So that's the hybrid cloud. So the hybrid cloud is essentially a combination of public, private, and your existing IT infrastructure, right? So, so that your application business application is actually spanning all three. Because you may want to put a marketing app onto public cloud. You may keep your data within your enterprise and then you use, um, you run your uh, analytics application and you know things like that on private cloud within your enterprise. That's one example, you know. Um, so hybrid is essentially, think of it as a combination of all three, right? Um, one of the things Red Hat also is pushing, uh, the concept Red Hat pushes a lot is called open hybrid cloud. So what do we mean by that? We mean uh, we want to be open, meaning the Red Hat way is the open source way, right? So you want to open source the source for all the technologies in the in the offerings that you deliver. So it becomes a lot easier for anybody to contribute and um, and also customers are not tied to some proprietary technology right so so the open hybrid cloud is um, uh, is the way to go f- uh, from uh, from our perspective uh, and i've seen that from many customers as well right where uh, they they basically say you know i don't want to i don't want any proprietary technology right give me something that is open source but give it to me with the proper support security, resiliency, right? So that's what they want us to do, right? But they want the technology itself to be open source. And that's really what Red Hat does with its uh, container technology, the OpenShift, as well as the one I'm working on, uh, Red Hat Advanced Cluster Management. We are actually open sourcing it through the Open Cluster Management project. It's, um, it's not fully there yet, but we, are, we have taken steps to open source and eventually it will be completely open sourced. I want to get to the the transition from IBM to Red Hat, but first, I'd like to ask you about that journey within the enterprise because I, I I noticed uh, in my research that you've you've had many roles. So I'd like to maybe ask you about what was that journey within the enterprise like? Uh, you know, from a from a personal career perspective, like you came in with one role, but then you were able to throughout your career, you know, change that. I imagine as the industry changes, but also probably as your your interests change. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, like I said, right, I started off in distributed systems and clustering, and then I moved on to security in 2000. So when I first started in security, you know, security, if you think about it, it's a very broad area, right? So there are so many different aspects of security. So I 
had the opportunity to work on various different aspects. So like roughly every four years or so, I was working on a different project. Okay. Still in the security business unit, but I got to work on, for example, I started with access management. Then I did some work on auditing and reporting. Then I did some work on compliance, right? Then I even dabbled at something called integration initiative where I focused on security aspects, where if you have multiple products, because IBM was acquiring some products from other companies. When you acquire these different products, each one has its own way of doing things, right? From a security perspective, UI perspective, et cetera. But if you look at a customer, they're trying to use all these products together. And so the deployment was becoming a pain point. So one of the things we looked at was how do we make it simpler? And I was leading the security integration initiative. So we built some technologies to help with the integration so that it's more seamless for customers. And then I spent uh, some time on, in a client-facing role where I was part of a solution architecture team working on security solutions for customers. This is basically you know, taking our security products and then putting together a solution architecture that tells customers how they would deploy it, how they would manage it, et cetera. I did that for a couple of years and then I realized that uh, my passion is in development. So I came back to development and uh, started working on identity management. So anyway, the, the bottom line is I, since I kind of changed my project every four years, I, over a period of time, I had um, acquired a lot of different security skills in very many security areas, right? So then when IBM got into cloud and um, they were providing a public cloud, which was managed by IBM, which means it had to be enabled for all the security aspects. And that is when I was given the opportunity to come and join and be the security architect. And um, uh, because I had dabbled with all the different aspects of security and I had also done some client facing stuff. So it seemed like, you know, it was a good opportunity and it used to be called Bluemix at the time, IBM Cloud. And uh, so I was the Bluemix uh, security architect for the platform. It was very exciting. Um, for me, working on Bluemix was like working for a startup within IBM. <laughs> so it was very fast paced and I learned so much uh, in those four years. And uh, it was very exciting. Little side note, uh, I-, I came into IBM through an aqua hire of, of SoftLayer. Um, and, uh, but before that, I was early adopter of Bluemix and SoftLayer infrastructure as a service at a startup. And I think I remember the night, it was like the first, I saw a blog post about some Watson services. I was like signed up right away and, you know, yeah. got, got connected with some, you know, developer advocate types back then. And, uh, but yeah, very exciting time when, when all that stuff started becoming available in the cloud for the first time. It felt like, like you mentioned, like those things that were locked away now are starting to, to become a- available and uh, it's, yeah. it's really, it's grown and it's, it's become so robust now. Yep. Yep. So yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, we'll continue if you have another thought there. Oh, the only other thing was, so then I moved to, just to complete the progression, right? So from public cloud, IBM offered dedicated cloud, which is public cloud was for multiple tenants. So multiple clients were using the same infrastructure, etc. Dedicated was dedicated just for the tenant. Um, so it's more a dedicated offering. Uh, so I worked on security for that. 
And then uh, some customers really wanted a cloud within their enterprise. So we came up with an offering called Local. So Local Bluemix was the third offering I worked on. Uh, so security aspects of that. But it was still managed by IBM. But then there were some customers who said, give me my cloud, but let me manage it, right? So that's when private cloud was born. Um, so IBM Cloud Private was the other one I worked on. And then after that, we realized pretty soon that a customer is not just buying one cloud deployment, right? They're going to have multiple. And we need, a, we need a way to manage those. So that's how multi-cloud manager was born. So I was working on the security aspects of that. And that is where the idea of incorporating the GRC concept that I talked about, which I actually uh, used in IBM Cloud, making that as a cap product capability in multi-cloud manager so that I knew that customers have to manage and deal with the same set of things I dealt with when I was part of the managed offering. So putting that capability into the product will give the customer the, the tool to do that. So that's how the that uh, GRC uh, concept came about. And um, yeah, so essentially, if you think about it, uh, think about my career progression. After spending around uh, 15 years or so in security business unit, I moved over to cloud and then I essentially I followed IBM's cloud journey, right? So public, dedicated, local, private, multi-hybrid. And, and then IBM went and acquired Red Hat um, and uh, essentially Red Hat became our strategic container platform. So now I'm working on that management of uh, that. So I feel like I've been following IBM's cloud journey, which is kind of exciting. That is exciting. And I think um, it might be interesting to delve a little bit into the, you know, well, two-part question here. So folks have the context of understanding, because I, I know, you know, people saw in the news, IBM Red Hat, one of the largest acquisitions ever, um, but there's a bit of a firewall there and this very unique relationship. And I think it might be good to talk about, you know, sort of what is that relationship and why did it happen? Because, you know, uh, you know I, I wasn't really aware of, they, you know, the long history of actually working together in such a common customer base. It, it really was a, something that, you know, a progression that developed over time, a, a great working relationship. So, you know, so I think that's the first part of the question is, Hey, how does that you know work? And then the second part would be you know your particular you know decision to say, hey, you know I've done this, I know all of that. It's time to make the move over here. Yeah, yeah, good questions. Um, I think for the first one, IBM and Red Hat have been working together for a long time, right? If you think about Linux, right? In the Linux space, you know that relationship has been there for a while, right? And then um, when it came to cloud, I think what happened is we had the IBM Cloud Private, which was essentially competing with the Red Hat uh, OpenShift offering. Both of them are Kubernetes-based uh, private cloud offerings, right? Container platforms. I think we got to the point where it made more sense to not compete uh, on the same set of technologies but rather, you know, by IBM acquiring Red Hat, we could then focus uh, their efforts within IBM Hybrid Cloud on the middleware layer, right? Because 
if you think about it, IBM has been in the middleware business for so many years now, right? In fact, uh, if you look at uh, what we are now calling as cloud packs, all these cloud packs are essentially IBM middleware, which is now pa packaged as a cloud offering, right? On top of um, the container platform. So, so I think it made sense to rather than compete. Otherwise, you know, we would be delivering the same capabilities in private cloud. Red Hat will be doing the same thing. And it just didn't make sense to kind of compete. Also, I think the container platform over a period of time may get commoditized too, right? Um, so, so I think the, the, I think the, where the differentiator is going to be in how it is managed from a resiliency, security, support, you know, perspective, and also all the middleware. Because whenever I talk to enterprise customers, right, like I told you about that customer who said, give me an open source database, but give it to me with resiliency, security, and support, right? So that's just one example. Any customer who is building a business application and wants to uh, move to cloud requires those core services, whether it's a messaging service, a database service, um, those are things that they need, and analytics for uh, AI, things like that, right? So they, so without that, they can't really adopt cloud, you know, because otherwise they will have to deal with all that, right? And um, so, so I think it made sense for IBM and Red Hat to join hands, so that you know we can focus. Have Red Hat continue focusing on the container platform because they are more close to the to the hardware and the operating system. You know that's their expertise, right? And then IBM can software hybrid cloud can focus on the services, the software services for the various middleware pieces. So, so I think it made sense. Um, and and then you know obviously we have customers uh, on both sides, and now you know we can. Um, leverage the customer base on both sides as well, which we are doing. Um, to answer the second part of your question, I think for me, like I said, I've been pretty much following IBM's uh, cloud journey. And um, and I think for me, I, I realized that what I really enjoy doing is uh, working on cutting edge technology and delivering products, offerings to the market. And collaboration. I, I really enjoy the collaboration with uh, IBM Research and um, the third-party vendors, etc. Right. So, um, so for me, you know, the, the move to Red Hat was perfect because it is giving me the opportunity to take uh, this governance um, idea, which is my current passion, and um, bring it to the open source community. And um, because the only way we will really realize the vision of governance is if we apply it across the entire stack, across all the controls. Now, if you think about that, right, different layers of the stack are owned by different people, or different companies even, right? And even the controls are owned by different companies. So if you, if you take a customer who is, uh, say, you know, uh, bought OpenShift and they want to secure it, right? So they would use some of the existing OpenShift security capabilities, but they will also use um, partner capabilities. You know, OpenShift has a big partner ecosystem. Uh, of so, 
Now, if I want to make sure that all those security controls are configured properly, and I want to apply governance to it, right? Red Hat won't be able to do all that on their own, right? We have to go and collaborate with all these different partners. So we have to collaborate in the open source community to make this happen. So for me, I'm excited because I feel I'm in the right spot because um, the topic or the area where I, what I'm passionate about, I'm now able to bring it to open source and now work with you know various um, third parties and IBM research and uh, various uh, teams within Red Hat also uh, who own the various layers of the stack and uh, realize that vision. That's very interesting. And I think that sort of brings us to, to present day. And then my next question would be, how, how is AI fit into the security space? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, AI... Right now, the focus is more on specific targeted industry segments, right? So whether it is healthcare uh, or some of these other uh, industry focus areas for AI, right? So that is at the, um, I would say, application software level, right? Um, but I think moving forward, um, I can imagine AI being part of, everything, you know, in the sense that it becomes another um, attribute, right? Um, so, because I can see that, like, when even when I use my uh, cell phone, right, uh, some of the things that I see, you know, I say, how, how did that work, you know? Because it's kind of learning, right? And it's applying what it's learning to make the, the tool easier for us, right? So, so I think AI is going to become very prevalent across um, pretty much all, all aspects. And uh, from a security perspective, I think AI fits in really well with the, the governance thing that I'm talking about. In fact, one of the themes um, I have um, in the, that I would like to pursue further is the, um, what I'm calling it as uh, intelligence building intelligence into how we um, apply the policies and how do, you how do you fine tune the policies, right? Because you may define a policy and you may customize it and, um, and you know, it may work well or maybe it may not. How do you, so part of the thing is to kind of gather the data of, you know, what worked well, what didn't, do some root cause analysis, fine tune the policies, you know. So I think um, all those aspects uh, applying AI techniques to that data is definitely an area I'll be looking at. So my last question for you is a bit of a, a wild card, which is, is there anything I, I didn't ask you that I should have or anything that just comes to mind that you'd like to share with our listeners? Hmm. Yeah, I think um, uh, one of the things I just wanted to say here is um, what inspired me uh, on my journey here. Um, I would say, you know, definitely my parents <laughs> were a big inspiration. Both my parents, you know, really in, inculcated the value of education and, you know, uh, it being the foundation for things. And I know my mom really encouraged me to be very independent and uh, 
make my own decisions and you know uh, which which i've always uh, valued and and my dad was um, his mot he i remember he wrote a message for me once in which he said uh, he wrote uh, uh, to uh, seek strive and not yield um, you know so i think uh, that really you know uh, i i've been kind of following those <laughs> uh values right um so i just wanted to share that um the other thing is the things uh that inspired me have been um a lot of women in many different fields not just computer science right where they have uh, uh kind of worked their way up and uh, in many ways you know cracked the glass ceiling um and whenever i uh see a woman who has done that it doesn't matter what area what field they did that in right um it's pretty inspiring um it could be you know in business it could be in law it could be you know uh maybe they did a, a got on top of mount everest you know whatever it is right um it's pretty inspiring i think uh, the, that uh, definitely inspired me a lot um the other thing i wanted to share is uh, mentors importance of mentors and um, i uh, had the opportunity to have a lot of different mentors along my way and um, they were very helpful and i'm not going to sit here and reel out names but they know who they are and uh, i i'm pretty thankful and that is one of the things i really enjoy doing in my job which is mentoring and uh, i uh, i have a lot of mentees and uh, i keep in touch with them and um, so uh, for the young people out there who hopefully are listening to this interview um i think i would say definitely seek out mentors uh, and does uh, i think that really helps you in terms of your career and um, and and hopefully you know uh you will get inspired like i did by uh, others and uh, progress your career. Thank you. That was really heartening and it's 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 great to hear the the cultural and the 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 real the human side of it. It's it's not just all the, you know, the technology that's uh that's relevant, right? It's 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 the connection between people and and like you're saying this um, you know, the fabric, right? Like folks who helped you and then in turn you have these relationships as well this is uh hey, thank you can i add a couple more things absolutely i just wanted to uh, i was planning to say this at the end which is um i one of the things i also get inspired by is by the younger generation you know because i look at the younger generation and uh, many of them look 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 up to me as a role model <laughs> and i think that also inspires me um and uh, including my children um and um also i think i was fortunate to have a spouse ram who was very very supportive of me in my career and um that we managed to pull it off i think <laughs> so i think that was uh, that was uh, it was nice to have a good balance of career and uh, personal life and everything so it's also nice to hear that because i, I think you know many times there it seems like it's an either or 
but there's there's a way of doing it right it's and i'm sure it's it's not easy all the time but uh it, it can be done it can be done and in my case you know i did ramp up and ramp down as needed uh during my career uh depending upon uh, my personal um, needs at the, at the time so and uh and it's possible it's uh you know it's obviously it's a personal decision but it is possible let me ask you are your children uh interested in the technology or are they having a different career path they are in fact uh, my daughter is uh, aerospace engineer um and um she she's uh, up in seattle working for boeing wow and, and my uh, son actually is in computer science he is uh, he's still in college so yeah so they are in technology well this is a very exciting uh, era for aerospace definitely i mean we are seeing the an explosion of of innovation in that area yeah 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 it was nice to see the the launch of the astronauts into the international space station that was pretty exciting well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it it's been uh, it's been a pleasure and uh i'm i'm looking forward to hearing your talk at the conference Thank you Luke thank you very much have a good evening you too